I would invite you to spend a few moments in silence, and then I'll voice and lead us in the pledge to our flag. Welcome to Baptist Without an Adjective, a podcast of Word and Way. I'm your host, Word and Way editor and president, Brian Kaler. On this program, we'll hear from Baptists from across the denominational, ethnic, national, and ideological lines that too often divide us. At Word and Way, we've been informing and inspiring Baptists since 1896. Learn more about us at wordandway.org. This episode is sponsored in part by the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship. Experiencing Christ's love is just the beginning. Pursue your call to love God and love your neighbor at the 2019 CBF General Assembly, June 17 to 21 in Birmingham, Alabama. Join the Cooperative Baptist family as they worship, learn, and grow through innovative training experiences, nightly worship, partner events, and a vibrant exhibit hall with booths, live podcasts, and music. For more information and to register, visit cbf.net slash assembly. In this episode, we're going to explore a sometimes contentious church-state issue and a unique Baptist perspective about it. To think more carefully about religious liberty, we're going to visit Liberty, Missouri. That's where we'll find Harold Phillips, a longtime Baptist minister who serves as a city council member for the town of Liberty, just north of Kansas City. I talked with Harold recently on the campus of William Jewell College, a Baptist school there in Liberty, about why he decided to stop praying. Wait, I mean, actually, why he decided to stop praying in city council meetings. Totally love being part of church, love my church family, love praying, love praying with people in time of need, time of happiness. So uh, it's, it's the context that it's like, I don't want to pray in a government meeting. We are going to flesh out why Harold came to view prayer in city council meetings as inappropriate and how he's not alone in that view among Baptists on this important national debate. But it is first important to note that he came to this decision precisely because of his faith, not in spite of it. For Harold, his love of prayer runs through his life and his ministry. Not only has he served on staff at a couple of Baptist churches, but for two decades he led CBF Heartland, a regional body in cooperative Baptist fellowship life. Growing up, very church kind of person, went to a seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, Southern Seminary, had a great experience there. And there led to the first church that I served in as an associate minister. I was there for 11 years, came out, worked in Liberty at Second Baptist Church for nine, and then for over 20 years been a part of Cooperative Baptist Fellowship. So when Harold decides not to pray somewhere, it is not because he is not a believer in prayer. And it is not because he does not believe in the power or importance of prayer. Rather, it is precisely because he views prayer as sacred. His faith led him into the public square, and it now impacts how he acts when operating in that capacity. In fact, like many Baptist ministers and laypeople in elected offices across the country, Harold sees his position as a natural response to living out our faith's call to love our neighbors. Here's what Harold said when I asked him about why he as a Baptist minister decided back in 2005 to even run for the city council in the first place. It was one of my several midlife crises, and I've always enjoyed politics. I helped a guy with his campaign for school board, and we had a little neighborhood issue, and 
incumbent, the guy who was in, didn't vote the way we wanted him to vote, and our little group said one of us is going to run against him. And through a variety of things, I was the last one standing, and it's like, well, heck, why not do it? It's really interesting that through the work with Property Baptist Fellowship, there's the whole idea of being the presence of Christ where you are. And so for me, this was one way to take that seriously, is that, well, I'm in this town, we're invested in this community. It was a nonpartisan election. I wouldn't want it to, with my work, be on a particular party label. It's like, you know, this could be put me in a context other than church people, other than just Christian people, and just be be in a real world. Now, Harold in the past had prayed before city council meetings, even before running for office. Back then, like many communities across the country, political leaders in Liberty invited local clergy to come and pray on a rotating basis before city council meetings. When we moved to Liberty, I was working at Second Baptist Church. Liberty Ministerial Alliance was the ones that were called on to do the prayer. So I did that probably a dozen times. By the time Harold ran for city council, that body had changed its procedure. Instead of inviting local clergy to pray, they instead rotated the prayer among city council members themselves, which is another common approach to opening prayers by city councils across the country. Now, however, Harold started to feel like this clashed with his official governmental role. And then eventually he learned that other Baptists also viewed such prayers as inappropriate. So it's like, no, the city council people need to do it rather than have outside people come and do it. Okay, that's great. So the way you do is you just rotate around. You're, this week it's your turn. Next week it's my turn. And so I did the prayer, but I was always feeling a little bit awkward. It's like the, the Baptist in me was kind of welling up. And I'd been to some meeting with the Baptist Joint Committee, and uh, I think it was Brent Walker was talking about something. And it's like, I don't need to be doing a prayer, and it's okay to not do a prayer. So I just said, I'm not going to do a prayer. In a moment, we'll hear about the negative responses to Harold's decision to stop praying at city council meetings. But let us first pause here and consider the perspective from the Baptist Joint Committee for Religious Liberty that Harold referenced. Five years ago, on May 5, 2014, the U.S. Supreme Court issued a 5-4 decision in the case called Town of Greece v. Galloway. The case involved a challenge to the practice of the Town of Greece, New York, starting its local city council meetings with sectarian prayers. The argument of the local citizens who sued the city in 2008 was that the practice of inviting local clergy to pray involved an unconstitutional establishment of religion, especially since most of the prayers contained uniquely Christian language. That practice mirrored what Liberty, Missouri had during the time before Harold joined the city council when he prayed as a local minister. Here's how Amanda Tyler, who now leads the BJC, explained the case when I talked with her in Liberty, Missouri last month. Now, almost five years ago, the Supreme Court issued its ruling in Greece v. Galloway, and this involved a small town, Greece, New York, not far from Rochester in upstate New York. They had developed a practice that before their town meetings, they would have people from the community come and pray. And this is not a moment of silence or a so-called non-sectarian prayer. These were very sectarian prayers you know, stand up and recite the Our Father with me. And this practice was challenged because some said this was a violation of conscience, that people were being forced to participate in what became a religious exercise before going before their elected members to get a 
a permit for their parade next week or a zoning variance for the building they wanted to build. So very practical matters of town governance were being put right after what was almost like a worship service. While the district court ruled for the town, the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Second Circuit reversed that and ruled against the practice of sectarian prayers. So as the case moved through the courts, the Baptist Joint Committee for Religious Liberty advocated against prayers at city council meetings, even filing a court brief backing those who sued the town of Greece before the Supreme Court heard oral arguments in the case in November of 2013. It marked the first time that the High Court heard a case on prayers before city council meetings, though the court had previously ruled in 1983 that prayers before state legislative sessions were permissible. Here's how Amanda explained the BJC's opposition to the prayers in the case. The Baptist Joint Committee's position in this case, that this practice did violate the First Amendment's guarantee of religious freedom for all, and particularly its guarantee against an establishment of religion. And the Supreme Court did not agree, and they found this practice was permissible and kind of was in the line of a long-standing practice of prayer before Congress, congressional sessions that had been extended to state legislatures. Our position was this was very different, you know, that that is the situation of legislators praying before their session, that there wasn't a practice of the actual townspeople being there and praying, being asked to pray with them. So the Supreme Court upheld that particular practice. They left for another day that there might be some town council prayer that would be impermissible. And last year, we saw some of those cases rising up through the appellate courts. The Supreme Court did not actually take any of those challenges. As Amanda noted, a narrow one-vote majority on the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that the practice of starting city council meetings with prayers, even sectarian prayers, was permissible. While the BJC's position did not win out, it was still impactful as the dissenting opinion, written by Justice Kagan and joined by Justices Breyer, Ginsburg, and Sotomayor, actually cited the BJC's court brief to explain the BJC's position on prayer. So four of the justices found this Baptist perspective worth considering. Here's how Justice Kagan explained part of the debate over the prayers during the oral arguments in the case. Here's what our, our, our country promises, our constitution promises. It's that however we worship, we're all equal and full citizens. And I think we can all agree on that. And that means that when we approach the government, when we petition the government, we do so not as a Christian, not as a Jew, not as a Muslim, not as a non-believer, only as an American. And what troubles me about this case is that here a citizen is going to a local community board supposed to be the closest, the most responsive institution of government that exists, and is immediately being asked, being forced, uh, to identify whether she believes in the things that most of the people in the room believe in, whether she belongs to the same religious team as most of the people in the room do. And it strikes me that that might be inconsistent with this understanding that when we relate to our government, we all do so as Americans and not as Jews and not as Christians and not as non-believers. Now, as Amanda alluded to, the majority's opinion, which did not cite the BJC, has emboldened many communities to not only start their meetings with such prayers, but even to push for more sectarian prayers or exclude those of minority faiths from the rotation of prayers. More court challenges are likely to continue. 
But Amanda does add that the Supreme Court's ruling does not mean people must pray. There is still the liberty not to pray. I think it's important to note that the Supreme Court said that towns may do this, but that there might be areas where the town goes too far or the the council goes too far. You know, the BJC position says even if this is permissible, it's also not a good idea, that it's divisive for communities, that it does violate conscience to, to make people engage in these religious activities, and that a better practice would be to engage in some kind of moment of silence or to do something that would not be so directly sectarian for the sake of the community. And this is the advice that Harold heard from then-BJC head Brent Walker and others. That advice resonated with his Baptist faith. So when the rotation came around to him, Harold started opening meetings not with a prayer, but by calling for a moment of silence. So I just said, I'm not going to do a prayer. So we're going to do a moment of silence. And uh, and so I introduced that, and we had a moment of silence. Then we did the pledge to the flag. And the, the mayor at the time got some flack from another council member who thought that we ought to have a prayer. And so it became the, just do the prayer. Just say a prayer, anything you want to. And say, like, no, that just means a prayer. It's just a bunch of little silly words you're saying to nothing. It's like, I'm not going to do it. And I explained the reasons. He, I know, I understand that. I agree with you. But just say a prayer and get him off my back, this other council member. That guy even called me up one time and said, I know that you may be a little bit nervous about voicing a prayer in public, so if you'd like me to do it for you, I will. You know, I can stand in front of 2,000 people and do a prayer. (laughs) So, anyway, so I I just got to where when it's my turn, we do a moment of silence. There's another guy on city council now. He doesn't even do a prayer for Thanksgiving is the way he describes it. He said, why would I do a prayer here if I don't want to do a prayer at Thanksgiving? Like, great. So he, he doesn't do a prayer. Another guy now does the opening prayer when Congress first convened. That's his prayer. Every time he just reads the prayer, offered the first prayer of the Continental Congress or whatever it was. And other people do the prayer. And I just find myself kind of wincing now when somebody voices a prayer in Jesus' name and pray at a city council meeting. It's like, okay, what about the people who are out there or who are watching, who are Liberty residents, who are not Christians, who are not anything? And so I've just become more sensitive to that. Truly, it's because of the Baptist Joint Committee sensitizing me to this role of church and state. You can be a person of great faith in public, but you don't have to do things that separate people. What Harold offers is a quintessential Baptist perspective and act. He dissented from the established religious practices of the state. He did not merely hold a differing opinion, but he also respectfully opposed that within his own power. That's what Thomas Helways, one of the first Baptist leaders, did when in 1612 he wrote the first English book calling for religious liberty for all people, as opposed to the usual argument of people just demanding freedoms for their own people. Helways offered his dissent to King James. Early Baptist leaders in the U.S., like Roger Williams and Isaac Backus and John Leland, preached this message of religious liberty for all, offering their dissent to the authorities in Massachusetts, and Virginia, and elsewhere. They recognize that just because the government, be it the Supreme Court or someone else, says something is permissible, that does not make it right. In my own experience, 
When I have visited my local city council meetings, gone a couple of times to testify as a local citizen, I've noticed that those meetings follow the model seen in Liberty, where the prayer rotates among council members. And so I wait silently in the hallway to enter only after the prayer is over. This way I am both respectful, but also not participating in the government prayer. And so as we reach the fifth anniversary of the Town of Greece case on May 5th, we see the standards set in that case being used by other judges and government officials to justify sectarian religious practices. But perhaps Baptists can set an example by once again dissenting. Instead of the standard from the town of Greece, perhaps we could try the standard from the councilmen in Liberty. For more than four centuries, Baptists have pushed for church-state separation through dissent, whether that be by writing books, publishing pamphlets, preaching sermons, or even in some cases, taking a moment to be silent. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Baptist Without an Adjective. You can learn more about the Baptist Joint Committee for Religious Liberty at bjconline.org. You can learn more about CBF Heartland at cbfheartland.org. As always, you can find us at wordandway.org. And don't forget to check out our sponsoring partner for this week's episode, the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship at cbf.net. If you've enjoyed this episode, I hope that you will share it with your friends on Facebook, head over to iTunes or your favorite podcast platform, and write a positive review to help more people to find the show. You can find easy-to-share links at podcast.wordandway.org. If you have any comments or feedback, please send them to me at bkaler at wordandway.org. And if you'd like to give to support this program, we greatly appreciate it. You can go to wordandway.org and hit the donate button. Anything you give there will help the production of this program, as well as that of our monthly magazine and our website. Thanks for listening.